You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. Good to be with you today. Uh, welcome uh, to those of you who are our guests today. So glad that you're here. Uh, I've gotten to meet some of you already and others I'm looking forward to meeting later. Uh, thank you to those of you who are online with us for being here uh, with us today. May God bless you as you worship him uh, from your homes. You know, when we w- take time to worship God, uh, whether it's uh, when we're able to come and be with the whole church or whether we have to stay home and worship from there, but still take the time to, to connect with the church, at least online, that honors the Lord. And so uh, may God be praised uh, by your gift uh, to him of time and attention and just, and just your love and honor for him. I've been feeling a little better this past week, um, gradually improving, and I'm very, very grateful for your prayers. Please don't stop praying. I'm not out of the woods yet, but my energy level has come up somewhat. I was able to come to Bible class this morning and uh, be here for that, and so I'm very grateful. Please uh, continue to pray for me. I appreciate that so much. We're studying through the Bible's book of Acts. It's the uh, book in the Bible that tells about the earliest years of the church, uh, as Jesus has been raised from the dead, has been enthroned by God over all things, uh, and now the church begins to spread the word of Jesus and his resurrection that proved that he is uh, God's son and the Messiah. We've come to the middle of the book of Acts now. We have taken a, a lesson or two from uh, the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. He had three missionary journeys that we know of in the book of Acts, and we'll be looking today at the second Uh, A lesson from the second missionary journey. Same thing next week, another lesson from his uh, second missionary journey. Uh, That missionary journey takes place in Acts 15 to 18. That's where we'll be today, Acts 16, so right in the middle of that. In Paul's second missionary journey, he and his new partner Silas visit and encourage the churches that Paul and Barnabas, his earlier partner, had planted during Paul's first missionary journey. But then, after they visit those churches that had already been established, Paul doesn't seem to know exactly where God wants him to go next to spread the good news of Jesus. As we read, watch how at the beginning of our reading, he struggles a little bit. But then, God leads him to a certain city, a city called Philippi. It was in northern Greece. And there, Paul, uh, there God does amazing things through Paul and for Paul. And not just for him but also for a businesswoman named Lydia and for a certain female slave and for a jailer. And this story climaxes around the jailer. So this is a long story that we'll read. It'll take us a few minutes. But watch as we get toward the end what God does with the jailer. So let's start in Acts 16 and verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and, they, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us 
out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. God does great things here in these events for Lydia and her household, bringing them to Jesus. For that female slave possessed by that fortune-telling spirit, setting her free from it, changing her life, I bet she was delighted. For Paul and Silas themselves, freeing them from prison, vindicating them publicly when they revealed they were Roman citizens whose rights had been violated. But to me, the climax of this story comes in what God does for the jailer. Luke focuses the story around the jailer, especially, I think, in verse 34, when he says, the jailer was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. He was filled with joy. The uh, Greek language at the time when the New Testament was written, of course, the New Testament was written uh, almost entirely in Greek, just a few Aramaic phrases here and there and words. Uh, And the Greek at that time had at least a couple of words for joy that show up in the New Testament. The word that's used for the jailer's joy is the more intense word. It's like uh, overjoyed, extremely joyful. My translation says he was filled with joy. Why was he so glad? Why was he so joyful? Because, Luke says, he had come to believe in God. Not because he had survived, not because he wasn't going to be in trouble, but because he had come to believe in God. And, you know, that makes sense to us who follow Jesus. Because we are filled with joy, too. Even when we're drained, even when we're weary, even when life is hard, we're still filled with joy because of God. What is it about God that fills us with such joy? Well, let's take a look at these events from the perspective of the jailer. Let's imagine these events from his point of view. His first encounter that we know of with our God begins during a normal day at work. He's living in Philippi. It's a city in uh, northern Greece in Macedonia. Philippi is not your average city. It is a Roman colony. It has been so established by the Roman government. Uh, As a colony, it's a place where uh, retired soldiers and officers may receive land when they retire. So good incentive for their good service. They get some free land. And as a Roman colony, Philippi sort of represented Rome. It was sort of like a little Rome far away from Rome uh, to uphold Roman law. The laws that applied in the great city of Rome also applied in its colony cities, including Philippi. The residents there, being Romans, many of them, took a lot of pride in their Roman identity and in following Roman tradition and Roman way of life. Now this jailer, He is a resident of Philippi. He's also not just a guard in the prison. He is in charge of the city prison. So he is apparently a person of some standing. He's probably very experienced, likely a retired soldier or officer himself. And on this normal day, he receives a couple of new prisoners. Uh, One's named Paul, the other's named Silas. 
He's ordered to guard them carefully, so that's fine. He puts them in the inner cell and fastens their feet in the stocks. It will be hard for them to escape. And then he may have heard a little about what they had done wrong. They had wrecked some local people's income by casting a spirit that could predict the future out of their slave so that their income from her fortune-telling was lost. That probably didn't seem too bizarre to the jailer. It seems bizarre to us, probably not to him. He comes from a culture that believes in all sorts of gods and all sorts of spirits. And they believe in magic and sorcery. And so a spirit that can predict the future, though unusual, would not have seemed outside the realm of possibility. But these two men had, by casting out this spirit, made the local authorities uh, angry, made, made these businessmen angry, who then reported this to the local authorities. The local authorities got angry, so Paul and Silas are being punished. Fair enough. They're Jews who have been causing an uproar in the city. That's reason enough to put them in prison. So the jailer does his job. He imprisons them, makes sure they're held securely, and then he goes to bed. Normal day. And then, have any of you ever been woken up by an earthquake? Anybody, anybody willing to admit it? A few. Okay. All right. Uh, live in California? Yeah, me too. Uh, when I was, I was woken up by an earthquake in California a couple of times. It's scary, isn't it? That is a frightening thing. I mean, it's pretty jarring to wake up to a jolt or, or you know, just the earth moving. It can really shake you up, so to speak. The earthquake wakes the jailer. And naturally, the first thing he does when he realizes what's going on is go check on the prison. Apparently, his house was right there at the prison. When he gets there, he immediately sees bad news. For him, it's tragic news. The prison doors are open. Open prison doors can only mean one thing. The prisoners have escaped. And by Roman custom, when prisoners escaped, those who were in charge of holding them forfeit their lives in exchange for the lives of the prisoners. And so being an honorable man and an intelligent man, not wanting to suffer torture at someone else's hands, when the jailer sees the prison doors open and realizes the prisoners are surely gone, rather than uh, wait to be convicted of negligence and executed, he draws his own sword and prepares to take his own life. But then he hears a voice. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. And it's unbelievable, but not one of the prisoners had tried to escape. We don't know how many prisoners there were that night. We know of Paul and Silas. We know there were others. But they're all still there. And in that overwhelming moment, when the jailer recognizes that he might yet have a chance to survive, he calls for lights, he rushes in, he falls trembling before Paul and Silas, and he asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And now he is not asking that question in the parlance of modern American evangelicalism. Right? He's not saying, how do I ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my life? It's not what he's saying. His question is more raw and entirely desperate. What do I need to do at this moment to survive? What do I need to do to be saved? 
because maybe the prisoners could still overwhelm the guards and escape. They were loose. Their chains had fallen free. Uh, their door, the door, prison doors had opened. The jailer's life is still at risk. Or if the jailer has heard about Paul's power by which he cast that future predicting spirit out of the slave. And if he, like the other prisoners in the, in the prison, had heard Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to their God at midnight... And if he saw the earthquake, not as a random phenomenon, but as God's miracle to set his faithful servants free from their prison chains, the jailer might be asking, what do I need to do to make things right with your God right now? And Paul and Silas reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And right there in the prison, they teach the jailer about Jesus. And he believes. He believes the whole package. After that that miracle with the female slave, after the praying and singing when most prisoners would have been yelling and cursing, after the earthquake, after the despair of knowing he must die, but then finding out that he had a chance to live, after these prisoners had not even tried to escape, after hearing that the God behind all these things had raised a man named Jesus from the dead and given Paul and Silas authority and power to spread the good news about him, after all this, the jailer is convinced. He believes. Immediately, he washes all of Paul and Silas' wounds. And then he and his household are all washed themselves in the water of baptism. They become followers of Jesus and children of God. And then he brings Paul and Silas into his house, shows them late night hospitality, feeds them a meal in the middle of the night. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What was it that he saw in our God that filled him with such joy? First, he saw God's power. The demon cast out. The perfectly timed earthquake. The testimony of Paul and Silas. Clearly people who were favored by this God. Uh, As they talked about Jesus who was killed and raised from the dead. The jailer encountered God, and the first thing he saw was God's power. Second, he saw God's mercy and grace. Here he was, casually complicit in imprisoning two of God's servants, causing them to suffer with their legs stuck in the stocks. When God acted, the jailer was clearly on the wrong side of the situation. He was not on God's good side. Yet God graciously spares the jailer's life and offers him full salvation through Jesus, a new hope that the jailer couldn't have previously imagined, probably. The jailer encountered God and received his mercy and grace. Third, the jailer saw transformation, inner transformation. He saw exceptional godly character in Paul and Silas. 
how they prayed and sang to God when others would have been screaming and cursing, how they did not run from the prison, how they did not demand a bribe if the jailer wanted to live, but instead they taught him about Jesus. The jailer encountered God through his people and saw exceptional inner transformation. The jailer had had a face-to-face encounter with the power and the mercy and the transformed people of God. And God reached out to him and he responded and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. And I wish I knew how to express to a person who does not know our God why we who know him have so much joy. I mean, life's not not easy for any of us, but in every situation we still are refilled by God with that joy. I, I don't know how to put that into words unless you've experienced it. So all I know to do is to tell stories about God's goodness, story like this, uh, stories like the story of this jailer. And usually they're just simple stories, you know, but wonderful. A, a few years ago, some of our dear friends at the Atanum Church of Christ across town um, asked to use our baptistry one evening. I think they were having theirs worked on or something. The, a woman they knew wanted to follow Jesus. And so, you know, of course, we opened the building up for them and they brought some folks over. And I was here when that woman was baptized and she was so glad. You could tell she'd been thinking about this for a while, and she had made the decision to follow Jesus. Just very glad. And then I heard a few weeks ago, of course, it's been a few years since that happened. I heard a few weeks ago about how she's doing. And they said she is just full of joy. Her life has been transformed. She's a new person. She's full of love for God and for his people. She's grown so much. Joy radiates out of her. Why? Why did she go through this transformation? I don't know. I just know that's what God does for people. He fills us with joy. On my trip this summer, my kids and I stayed with a couple uh, who were college students when I lived in Memphis, Tennessee. Got to go see them now 20 plus years later. I was their campus minister at the time when they were uh, in college. And I remember when both of them were baptized. Good Good memories. I, I was there for one baptism, the other one I, I heard about uh, just after. They are still faithful over 20 years later. They have all the same troubles in life that you and I have. Um, they have health issues sometimes that are just so so hard on the body. They have troubles at work. They uh, you know, are struggling to figure out how do we live as Christians in a very secular society. They had some difficulty in their marriage at one point. They're raising children, and if you've had the privilege of raising children or have been close to someone who did, you know how tough that can be. But if you could spend a little time with them, you wouldn't notice all these troubles. You wouldn't even know they were there at the beginning unless, unless they told you. What you would notice as the dominant characteristic in their lives is their joy. They, they love God. They love people. They feel tremendously blessed by God. And after 20 plus years of walking with God, they're filled with joy more than ever. And I confess that sometimes my own heart gets a little dry. 
I've known God all my life, grew up in a faithful Christian home, very grateful for that. I was baptized into Christ at the age of 15. I've never looked back from my commitment to follow him. I've loved and served God many years, but sometimes, kind of like with my keys, you know, I set my joy in the Lord down somewhere and can't remember where I put it. And then I get tired, I get discouraged, I get frustrated. And yet before long, that joy in the Lord returns. And I'm refreshed. Sometimes God holds me, just holds me. Sometimes he leads me. Sometimes he teaches me or encourages me. Sometimes he just gives me a period of rest. And that whatever it is I need at that moment, he's there. And I feel his blessing again. And that joy returns. Because our God is so good to us when we're trying to walk with him. And walking with God is rarely easy. But God helps us. Look at what God does for Paul and Silas when their lives get hard, when they hit some really tough difficulties. Right at the beginning of our reading today, verse 6, they're trying to figure out where they should go next to preach the word of God. You would think an apostle of Jesus would know exactly where Jesus wants him to go, but he doesn't know where to go. And they don't seem to get much help from God at first. They try to go one way, but the Holy Spirit stops them. That's frustrating. In verse 7, they try to go another direction, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. It's so frustrating when you're just trying to serve God, but he keeps closing the doors you're trying to go through. But God does this in order to lead us in a better direction when the time is right. And so in verses 9 and 10, when God sends Paul a vision calling him to Macedonia, then Paul and his companions feel like, oh, that's what God wants us to do. Okay, and now's the time. Let's go. They, they go. They travel to Philippi in Macedonia. It's one of the leading cities there. And it turns out that God knew exactly what he was doing. Because in this influential city, they begin to find people whose hearts are open to God. Right away, Lydia and her household become believers and are baptized. And in the joy of her new faith, she opens her home to Paul and Silas and their group. And so a new church is born in Philippi. Then when this female slave with a future predicting spirit bothers Paul day after day, just bugs him, annoys him, is getting in the way of his ministry, God gives Paul the power to drive that spirit out of the slave, setting her free and making her life much better, I'm sure, making Paul's life easier, for sure. And that gets Paul and Silas thrown into jail. But even there, when they're suffering in prison, they've been beaten, they're hurting, they're down. Even there, God gives them courage. He gives them the strength to pray and sing. And I don't know if they're calling out to God in lament, like, rescue me from the wicked, O Lord. Or if they're crying out to God in joy, I don't know. But either way, God gives them the strength to call out to him. And then God sends that earthquake that sets them free. But Paul and Silas don't try to escape. And the next thing you know, they have a new brother in Christ and his whole household with him. And the jailer, like all the rest of us, is filled with joy. And at the end of the story, Paul and Silas, who were accused falsely and treated shamefully, whose rights as Roman citizens were violated, 
they are vindicated, and in their vindication, God makes clear to the whole Roman city of Philippi that the good news of Jesus is for Romans too. Because these two men have done nothing wrong in sharing this message. And in fact, they themselves, Paul and Silas, are Roman citizens. This jailer, who is probably a Roman, uh, maybe a Roman citizen, is at least a Roman officer, he becomes a Christian. And so this gospel is for Romans too. God is good to his people, even during times of difficulty. There is tremendous joy in knowing our God. Lydia discovered that joy. That's why she opened her home to Paul and Silas and their mission team. Paul and Silas lived that joy daily in good times and in bad times. And God was always faithful to them. The jailer was filled with that joy when he encountered our God. His power and his grace and the transformation that he works in his people. And that joy of knowing God is ours as well. My friends, we have had a hard year and a half, and it is still hard today. But in all our difficulties, we have great joy because we, like that jailer, have come to believe in God. We know him, and we walk with him every day, and he helps us, and he walks with us, and he gives us hope. As one scripture says, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. May the Lord fill us with the same joy the jailer had, and Lydia had, and Paul and Silas had. Even when times are hard, even when they're so hard, may he fill us with that joy and with a sense of his presence. And may he then cause that joy to spill out from us to bless the people all around us so that they may share in his joy too. May God bless you today. Let's bow together and let's pray. Our God, you know the troubles that we go through from day to day and you know where our hearts are heavy today and where we are filled with uh, gladness too. And it's so strange how both of those can be there at the same time, but they often are. Lord, we thank you for your power for your mercy and grace and for the transformation that you work within us as we seek you and follow you. Lord God, fill us once again with your joy. Bless us who are here today or online with us today or listening to this recording later uh, who are doing well and for whom that joy is easy. Bless us and make that joy rich and let it overflow to the people around us that they may uh, also find hope in you, our God. And bless us, Lord, who are burdened today, who have been sick or who have had uh, great difficulties come up in our lives, uh, who have lost a, a loved one, who have called out to you, Lord, but have not yet heard your answer. Lord, fill us with joy in spite of the difficulties of this life. And let us know your presence, that we may be sustained, and that like Paul and Silas in the prison, we may find courage to call out to you. Lord, thank you for Jesus and for the strength that you gave him when he went to the cross and died for us. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness we received through him. Thank you for the, the joy that was set before him, the joy of our salvation, for which purpose he gave his life. 
thank you so much for Jesus. Keep our eyes on him this week, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.